0: I want to start off with a statement this morning uh, to kind of get us thinking, and the statement is this, uh, the only person who can stop God working through me is me. All right, the only person who can stop God working through me is me. And let me tell you uh, what I mean by this. One of my seminary professors used to say, God doesn't need, now keep in mind, he was speaking to a group of people that wanted to be pastors, speaking to a group of people that wanted to be uh, preachers and ministers, and, and he would say, God doesn't need another Chuck Swindoll. He doesn't need another, another Chip Ingram. He, he doesn't need another Bill Bright. What God needs is the very first you is what he would say. Now, Chip Ingram and Bill Bright and, 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 and Chuck Swindoll, those were all big names in the Christian world at that time, and, and he would say, God doesn't need another one of them. He needs the first one of you, and um, last year, I think it was last year, I was I was doing some teaching out at Ridgecrest at family camp, and and, and I asked people, I said, you know, not all of you want to be preachers and ministers, so those names don't mean anything to you. But all of you want to be something. Who's famous and you're something that you want to be? And so people threw these names out. And I'd say, God doesn't need another one of them. He needs the first of you. And for you, for you, you probably don't want to do what I do. That's okay. But you want to do something. And there's somebody more famous than you are doing that thing. And the truth is, God doesn't need another one of them. He needs the very first you to do that thing. And here's why. Because God made you in a unique way to accomplish unique tasks. God made you in a unique way to accomplish unique tasks. You see, you can't accomplish what these other people accomplished because God made them to accomplish those things. He's made you to accomplish something even better because he made you to accomplish that thing. And and what I'm saying when I started with that first comment is that reality has one hurdle. And And it's the hurdle that God wants to do through you. The only hurdle to that is you. It's not the person next to you. It's not the person who raised you. It's not the person who left you. It's not the person who betrayed you. It's you. And if that rings true with you, I'm going to put this phrase back up there, that the only person who can stop God working through me is me. And what I want us to do is I just want us to to repeat that out loud. So let's all say that together. The only person who can stop God working through me is me. And y'all, here's what I'm saying in a practical sense. Not in a theological sense because I believe God is sovereign and he will use us like his will is not compromised by our disobedience. But in a practical sense and how it feels, there's one word that at times feels more powerful than God. And it is a small word, it only has two letters, and it's the word that we're going to see that Jesus is greater than today. Because today, we're going to see that Jesus is greater than me. That's what we're going to see. And today, we're going to see what life can look like when Jesus is greater than me. Now, I want to give a disclaimer up front, because when you hear things like God made you in a unique way to accomplish unique tasks, sometimes you go to these big, grand ideas. Y'all, seriously, when I had become a Christian, uh, I was a senior in college. I was, had, I was getting my degree in elementary education, just finishing my degree, and, and was new to the faith. And, and heard the thing that Bill Bright was famous for saying in the four spiritual laws that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I tried to figure out what that wonderful plan was about two months into my salvation right? And, 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 and so I looked at my life and I thought, well, I'm getting my degree in elementary education. I'm this new Christian. Uh, let's see, schools used to pray and they don't anymore. And so that's what God wants me to do, is he wants me to bring the person to bring prayer back into public schools. I shared that with one of my small group leaders who said, man, that is an incredible idea. Why don't you teach school for a little while first? Get your degree teach school for a little bit and kind of work on getting to know the teachers and showing them Jesus before you worry about changing the nation for Jesus. That was really good advice because here's what I learned in that process. One, as long as there are tests, there will always be prayer in school, right? Mission accomplished. All I had to do was give tests. Two, oftentimes, The things that God has made us for, and I said this last week, oftentimes the things that God has made us for aren't these big, huge purposes. They're often these small, little tasks that God has designed. And 99% of them, this isn't based by research, I'm just saying this, because I'm a preacher and we like to use statistics. But most of those decisions, most of those tasks, no one will ever see. There will be zero public arena for them besides you and God. And those small tasks can have a huge impact in the world. And so today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 1 through 6. You can go ahead and turn there if you want. Uh, It's on page 848 if you're using the Bible that's in front of you. Um, We'd love for you if you don't own a Bible to take that one with you as our gift to you. But it's on page 848 of that Bible. Or you can download the Bible app and we're in that under events and then click on Fellowship Asheville. And you can take notes and uh, the announcements are there and you can follow along with the text there. And uh, this is our last chapter in the series of Hebrews. So we're, we're, we're turning the last corner. Uh, we've got three more sermons left uh, in the book of Hebrews. And, and in this series, we've been seeing how Jesus is greater than. And he's greater than all these ups and downs. He's greater than our doubts. He's greater than our fears. He's greater than our failures. And he's even greater than our successes. In all areas of our life, we're seeing how Jesus is greater than and, What we're going to see today is that He is greater than the most powerful word and the most powerful person besides Him, and that He is greater than me. So let's look at this text and see what what life looks like when Jesus is greater than me. Chapter 13 says this. In verse 1 it says, Let brotherly love continue. Now remember, this story, This book that we call Hebrews, uh, I believe, was a sermon that was preached. And it was preached to a group of people. We don't know who preached it. We don't know who wrote it. But what we do know is who heard it. And, and, And who heard it was a group of people who were Hebrew in their upbringing. They were Jewish in their upbringing. But they had come to see Jesus as their Messiah. And because they had done that, this church that heard this sermon for the first time was a group of people who were facing all kinds of persecution for their faith. Right, Because if you grew up in a culture that said this is what religion looks like and you come home and you say, Mom, Dad, guess what? I discovered a new religion. I discovered that the Savior that we had been waiting for has already come and if that causes some rifts in some families. And it did for this early congregation because families were disowning those who turned to Jesus. If they owned a store, customers were passing them by because of their new faith. Friends in the community had stopped associating with them. In some cases, laws were made to where they couldn't worship Jesus. And if they were caught worshiping Jesus, they were thrown into jail, they were beaten, and in some cases, they were killed because of their faith. And so when this preacher says, Let brotherly love continue He's pushing against this me that seems really powerful because honestly, if we were in that position and we knew that if we showed our faith in a public arena through the, through the, through the love of the brothers of Christ and sisters of Christ and people saw that, it would make us really self-conscious about, about who saw what and how they saw it. And it'd be real easy to put me above Jesus and be like, let's just keep this Jesus thing between me and him. Let's not tell my parents. Let's not, let's not tell my friends. Let's just kind of keep this on the down low right now. But what this preacher is saying is that there's a better way. Because you see, when Jesus is greater than me, what he's saying is that you can see my love. When Jesus is greater than me, you can see my love, and, and it pours out into other people. And in particular, we're going to see what that looks like, because this preacher is telling them to keep on loving one another, even in small tasks like this in verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality for, to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now, this word for hospitality is an interesting word in the Greek, particularly this word. This is where this word hospitality comes from because it takes the word phileo, which means brother and friend, and then takes the word xenia, which means stranger, and puts them together. And so what hospitality means is that you make the stranger feel like family. You make the stranger feel like a brother. That's what hospitality is. You, 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 it's, it's bringing the stranger in and making them feel like, like family. And in this culture, this Hebrew culture who heard this sermon for the first time, this was incredibly important because if somebody was traveling through town, there were inns that people could stay in, but they weren't safe. They were very expensive. And so what people would do is they would hang out in the city center. And and, and, and families who wanted to show hospitality would welcome travelers into their home and feed them and give them a place to stay for the night because it was safe to do that. And so in a very real sense, what this preacher is saying is to show hospitality is to literally welcome in the stranger, much like Airbnb. You know, they would open it up and and have a room for them and, and have a place for them and bring them in as part of their family. And this preacher here is referencing a time where Abraham in Genesis did that, where he welcomed strangers into his home. And upon them being in his home, the revelation was that these weren't just strangers. These were angels. And and so what this preacher is saying is that somehow when our faith motivates us to welcome in the stranger, somehow the earthly and the heavenly overlap. And when we welcome in the stranger, it is actually not just a physical act, but it is a spiritual act. And, you know, i got to tell you this, there's lots of reasons why we don't do this. I mean, seriously, have you had the doorbell ring at your house at night when you weren't expecting somebody? Like, when I was growing up and the doorbell rang, like, we all got out, oh, who's here, who's here, who's here? Now the doorbell rings, you're like, turn the TV off. Who's here? Even in the middle of the day, like, you hear the doorbell ring. If you look outside and don't see the UPS truck, like, you're hiding behind a corner, Right? True, true story. And my wife said, um, I, could, I could share this. Remember, we're talking about the only person who can stop God working through me is me. And, 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 and those questions of me kind of flavor this idea of welcoming the stranger in. Well, Stacy was home by herself. She works from home. And, and it was almost time to go pick up the kids. Right? So she comes upstairs. Her office is downstairs. She comes upstairs. And there's this woman out on the front door ringing the doorbell, and so Stacy does what, you know, probably most of us would do. She steps behind the wall to where she can see out, but the person can't see in because she's like, who? who is that? They're by themselves, so she knows it's not Jehovah's Witnesses or anything like that, and so they move from ringing the doorbell to knocking on the door to writing a note for Stacy, and Stacy's like, oh my gosh, I, you know, because at this point, the lady thinks that she's not home. But Stacy's in this conundrum because she has to leave to go pick up kids from school. She's like, what do I do? If I open the garage door, she's going to know I'm home. And so she just decides the kids will understand why I'm late. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, anybody else been there? So, So she just waits. And then the person leaves. She's like, okay, finally I can go. So then she goes to the car and she can look out another window and she sees that the person hasn't left. They're at the next door neighbors across the street. Our garage door is kind of loud. And so she knows if I open the garage door, she's going to know I was here all along. And so she waits. And she's like, I've got to go now. Like now, like no kid will understand why I'm this late picking them up. I've got to go. So she hops in the car and she backs up. And the, the woman who had gone over to the neighbor's house isn't there anymore. She's gone. Now, y'all, this, this is where this sermon, like I couldn't paint a better picture of this sermon. Our neighbor's name is Grace. Right? And Stacy realized that the woman's car was still there, but Grace let her in. See, Grace welcomes the stranger, doesn't it? Stacy apparently does not. (laughs) But let me tell you, we all live out this truth When Jesus is me, it's this understanding. And here's what we're going to see today over and over again. The way that we treat others is shaped by the way we understand that we've been treated by Jesus, right? Because what I want to do is help us understand what happened for Jesus to become greater than me. Because the key to this kind of hospitality that welcomes in the stranger, the key to this is that we have to understand the gospel to motivate it. Right. And only when we take the gospel given to us and we live it in our hearts and and it pours out into others is Jesus greater than me. And when Jesus is greater than me, this is true. When Jesus is greater than me, I welcome you in no matter who you are. Right. When Jesus is greater than me, I welcome you in no matter who you are. And I can welcome the stranger because I was the stranger. Right? That's how the gospel shapes this. We were the ones that were outside the family of God, and Jesus welcomed us in. We were the ones that weren't safe. We were the ones that were dirty. We were the ones that were defiled, and Jesus welcomed us in. And his death and resurrection allowed us in. You see, we can make the stranger become part of the family because we have become part of the family. The way Jesus treats me in a very personal way, this this just makes it personal, the way Jesus treats me shapes how I treat you. And when I understand that I was welcomed in like a stranger, it makes it easier for me to make the stranger welcomed in and feel part of the family, And however that looks. You see, when Jesus is greater than me and the gospel forms how... You show love to those around you, and how I show love to those around me, we can welcome the outsider into the family. In church, I want to tell y'all, y'all are really good at this. A few years ago, we had this couple that had been coming to fellowship pretty consistently. They were a lesbian couple, uh, they had um, uh, had a child together. Uh, and this is where Stacy did a great job welcoming the, the stranger in. She was their baby photographer. And, and she was one of the voices in their lives that they knew from fellowship, and, and, and they started coming to fellowship. And then soccer season started, they're both involved in that, and, and, and they kind of got out of the habit of coming. And I ran into them at a function at the YMCA and gave them a big hug, and, and I was like, where, where have y'all been? What have y'all been up to, and, and what's going on? And they're like, you know, we really need to come back to fellowship. And I said, okay, great, you're you're welcome back. And they said, I said, where where have y'all been doing? They said, well, we've been visiting other churches. We've been visiting churches that are more affirming for our lifestyle. Um, And I said, then why do you want to come back to fellowship? Like, what's going on there? And y'all, here's what they said about us. And they said, Fred, we've been to all these churches that say what we're doing is okay, and we know that you think differently than that, and that's okay. But we got to tell you, we felt more loved at fellowship than we have at any church that we've been to. To which I said, really? Like You go to a church where your lifestyle is embraced and encouraged, and you don't feel loved there? And here's what they said, and I, I had no idea. They said, well, at each church, there's always this subculture of what's appropriate. And so at one church, it was, and these, this, their words, at one church, it was the old gay church, so you had to be older than we were to kind of fit the subculture. At, at another church, it was fine with, you know, lesbians were cool, but we had kids, or we had a child, and the fact that we had a child somehow pushed us out of that subculture, and fellowship was the only place where we just felt loved. Y'all, you know, that is Hospitality. That is making the outsider feel like family. And one of my visions for this church is that the only barrier I want people to experience is Jesus himself. I want us to remove those subcultures that seem acceptable and just give people Jesus. That hospitality. Look at how else else love looks in verse 3. It says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. And see, here's another form of loving each other. It's not just welcoming the stranger in, it's also stepping into their shoes and experiencing their life as if you were living their life. And in ancient times when you were thrown into prison, it wasn't like it is now where you get three hots and a cot and and, and, and you're, you're well taken care of. In ancient times when you were thrown into prison, you were thrown into a cell with a whole bunch of other people and you were given nothing. You were given no food, no water, nothing. You had to rely on what people brought to you when you were in prison. And what this pastor is saying is is he's reminding us to put yourself in those people's shoes and let that mandate how you treat them. Especially since people were being thrown into prison for their faith. Like you had church members that were in prison because they said yes to Jesus. And this pastor is saying your love for them when you walk past that official who can also throw you in jail for having the same faith, and you walk past him into a place where you could be thrown into jail and you're taking food to your brother and sister in Christ, that's what love looks like. That's when Jesus is greater than me. And this requires stepping out of my world and stepping into your world. And I can step out of my world and step into your world because, remember, the way Jesus treats me forms how I treat you and shapes how I treat you because Jesus did the same thing. Jesus stepped out of his world and stepped into our world. You see, when Jesus is greater than me, I step into your world. And I can step into your world because Jesus has stepped into my world. In Philippians, there's this great picture that God did not ex- consider equality with God something to be held on words, In other words, Paul in the book of Philippians is, is writing about this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he has this picture of Jesus and God in heaven where everything is good and, and everything is right, and that Jesus, the, the word literally isn't, the word is, is, is that he let go of that, that it wasn't something that he held on as he came to earth earth for us and he stepped into our shoes and and john in the gospel of john another writer he said that that jesus made his home his dwelling place with us that the word became flesh and dwelled with us you see jesus stepped into our shoes he put on humanity's skin so that he could lead us out You see, the way Jesus treats me shapes how I treat you. Look at verse 4. It says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. You see, marriage is this place. and If you're married, feel free to say amen with no elbows. But marriage is this place where this whole idea of Jesus being greater than me is tested right? Because it's so fun watching single people become engaged and get married, and and I try and check in with them. Like, if I've done their premarital counseling, I'll check in with them later. How's marriage? And like, man, I had no idea how selfish I was until I got married. And then they have kids. They said, I really didn't know how selfish I was until I had kids. Right? This whole idea of this this place of marriage is this place where, where Jesus has to be greater than me. And we have this 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 marriage ministry called Reengage, which will be kicking back up again in January. And one of the one of the the taglines in Reengage, one of the phrases uh, that you'll hear in Reengage, is that um, in in your marriage you have to close every other door. You have to close every door, so it's just you and your spouse, and there's no temptation to walk out and walk through another door. You see, once you're married, you have to close the door of every other relationship that's tempting you to step away from marriage. And even here, our gospel gives us the power to do that. Gives us the power to let Jesus be greater than me. Because when Jesus is greater than me, I honor you, is what it looks like. When Jesus is greater than me, I honor you. I honor you as my spouse. And I can honor you because God finds honor in me because of Jesus. We can stick to a commitment in marriage because it's not just a commitment. It is a covenant. When you get married, you're not just saying yes to that person. You're saying yes to that person with a holy God as part of that. And you can keep that covenant because God keeps his covenants with you. The scripture says that all the promises of God are amen in Jesus. They're all completed in Jesus. That God keeps his commitments. And so I can keep my commitments, you can keep your commitments, and you can honor those next to you. But look what else love, love does in, in verse 5. Um, so we talked about marriage. Look at this one. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Like if marriage is the relationship where Jesus being greater than me is a struggle, money is the physical evidence of Jesus being greater than me or not. You see, we're tempted to put our security in a bank statement, a retirement fund, instead of what Jesus says is true about us. And, and that, by the way, I think is why God asks us, as followers of Jesus, to tithe. To, to, to give our money away, because the temptation is, if our bank account is big enough, if we hold on to this, we can be secure. Secure. Right? But you go through a recession, you go through a depression, and suddenly what you thought was secure was not. In, in the 2008, a lot of people felt that. They had, their, they had their 401Ks and life was looking good, and then all of a sudden those were gone and those were dwindled and plans had to change because their security was there. But when you tithe, it, it's not only, not only when you give your money to, to fellowship, for example, not only... Are you contributing to what God's doing in and through this church? Because, like, I think about those teachers at Oakley. We had that teacher's breakfast uh, two weeks ago. We had the teachers and staff come over for breakfast, and we had wish lists for them. We said, and, and we said, listen, we know you as teachers spend money out of your pocket for stuff that, that isn't provided by the school, by the budget. It's, the money's not there, and so you pay for that out of your money. We want to help you do that. And we want you to make a wish list. Once the kids come to school and you figure out what supplies you have and what supplies you don't have, this wish list is for you to fill out so that we can help you meet that need. See, when you give to the church, you give to that. When I explained that to these teachers, literally they gasped. (gasps) I was like, yeah, we want you to realize we're here for you, that God is for you. And when you give, it goes to stuff like that, which is great. But the deeper part about giving is that it puts you in a place where you have to trust God. Because when you tithe, you give off the front end, not the back end. You don't give from what's left. You give from what you've been given. And you do that because it shows faith and it shows trust. And see, we can trust God because he is trustworthy. Trustworthy. You see, when Jesus is greater than me, I give away. When Jesus is greater than me, I give away. Banks' accounts fluctuate, but Jesus never does. Stocks fluctuate. Jesus never does, which is why the preacher says this. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, the pressures of life make me, they make you think only about you. Right? The pressures of life make me think only about me. But when Jesus is greater than me, our focus shifts. And you can see this all over scripture you know what's funny is you never see jesus say listen you go take care of you right you go take a little me time he never says that and trust me he had plenty of opportunity he wore people out that were following him like literally so tired they couldn't even pray without falling asleep And what he continually did is he continued to remind them, look beyond you because because opportunity is there. Miracles are there. Keep looking beyond you because God looked beyond himself. Like the whole thought of our gospel is, 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 is going beyond yourself because God was actually very happy without us. He was very content between Him and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He didn't need us for anything. And yet, He went beyond Himself to include us in what He's doing. See, that's what love looks like. That's what Jesus being greater than me looks like. And y'all, there's no better picture of it than communion. Because communion is this physical example of Jesus reaching into humanity to make us part of the family. And so for you, if, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, if you've been coming to church because church is just something you do, I want to invite you to do church differently and realize that church isn't about what you do, it's about what Jesus did. And this table represents what Jesus did for you. That he died on the cross and shed his blood. That's what the juice represents. His his body was broken for us. It was nailed to a cross for us. That's what the cracker represents. But the story doesn't end there. Because if it did, he would just be another person innocently hung on a cross. But three days later, there was this thing called the resurrection. And when somebody raises from the dead, you pay attention. And Jesus rose from the dead to prove that everything that he said and did was true. We can trust him. And our faith is based on that trust. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, come up to the table today and take communion. And for those of you who have already said yes to Jesus, here's some questions I want you to consider. Who is the stranger that you need to welcome in? Whose world do you need to step into? Is there a door that you need to close for your marriage to be honored? Is there something you need to give away instead of hold on to? And I want you to consider the question that we kind of proposed at the beginning. What unique task has God uniquely made you for? And as we go into this time of communion, I want those questions to wrestle in your head, and I want them to bounce around in your head. And don't ignore the answers that come to your mind, because I want you to come to this table realizing that this table is the only way to have the power to do those things. Because the way Jesus has treated you shapes how you treat others. So come to this table and receive this gospel truth today.